Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. I'm to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of beginnings, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and Genesis and chapter number one. Genesis and chapter number one. <laughs> We're starting tonight a little mini-series that will go on for the next 13 Sunday nights as we go through what we call a creation seminar. What is a creation seminar? It is an opportunity to use science to show and back up the Bible so we can encourage your faith in the Lord. With this, we start with the Bible and look at Genesis and chapter number one. The book of Genesis chapter one, and if you don't mind noticing with me in Genesis chapter one and verse number one. Genesis chapter one and verse one, the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and and earth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Genesis in chapter number one? Genesis 1 1, and if you've never marked it before, we encourage you to do it now in the beginning. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us great wisdom and great discernment. That you would help us even now, that you would remove distractions. You would remove things that would keep us from paying attention to you. That you would have the preeminence. That you would have everything, Lord. Our hearts, our minds, our ambitions, our goals that you can speak to us tonight and that we can be encouraged that you are a real God and we can trust your word. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to bounce from this and turn to a New Testament passage. If you wouldn't mind to turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter, chapter number 3. I want to remind you that creation is not just mentioned in the book of Genesis, but it is something that is mentioned quite often throughout the Word of God. In the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 3, we know that there's some important teaching that is going to start us off with this creation seminar. In the beginning, so in the beginning is a big topic of discussion. What happened in the beginning? Well, turn with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter number 3. The book of 2 Peter chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 3. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says this, knowing this first. Now this phrase is a poetical way of saying this is important. Know this first, pay attention. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Did you know that there are people that scoff at the Bible? There are people that say that the Bible is not true, there are, that the Bible is not to be trusted. There are people that scoff at the Bible. In fact, the Bible even explains why they scoff at the Bible. They scoff at the Bible because they want to walk after their own lust. What does that mean? That the people don't want the Bible or God telling them what to do. So because of that, there are people who scoff at the Bible. Do you know that there's no scientific reason to reject the Bible? 
There is no archaeological reason to reject the Bible. There is no historical reason to doubt or reject the Bible. So then why do people reject the Bible? For the simple reason is that they do not want the Bible or God to tell them what to do. Notice specifically what the scoffers scoff at. Notice the next verse, verse number four. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? What are the scoffers scoffing at? First of all, they scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again, which is our great hope. Now remember, when Jesus crimes again, he is also coming with judgment. They do not want to believe that Jesus Christ is coming again because they do not want to give an account for what they've done in their life. Notice as it goes on in verse number uh, four, it says, they deny his coming. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The second thing they scoff at is creation. So with this, we know that the scoffers are scoffing at creation. They scoff at the Bible because they don't want to obey it. Now, no matter what you believe, all religions, all philosophies must answer four great questions. What are these four great questions? First of all, who am I and what am I worth? Who am I and what am I worth? Who am I and what am I worth? What did you, who are you come from? Where did we exist from? Where did I come from? That's a good question. Where did I come from? Every philosophy must answer this question. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Why do I exist? And where am I going when I die? Every philosophy must answer these four questions. These are four basic questions, four great questions that life must answer. Well, we know that people could look at the same evidence and come to a different conclusion. For example, an evolutionist can look at all the world and say, amazing, look at all of this. This world came from nothing. Isn't that amazing? And someone could look at the same evidence and come to a different conclusion. That (coughs) it's an incredible design. There must be a smart designer. That we know that our philosophy helps us to determine how we see things. Both of them have a point of view and a conclusion that is drawn to it. Even the evolutionists understand that (laughs) what their philosophy comes from. The law of Christ is incompatible with the law of evolution. Nay, the two laws are at war with each other. And we cannot agree more that evolution and creation cannot coexist. They are two opposite philosophies, two opposite school of thoughts, two opposite ways of viewing the world and how it exists. So with these four great questions, we have to answer them. If we believe the Bible, then we say, who am I and what am I worth? You are a created being that God designed and you are valuable to him. You are accepted by him. You are loved by him. But if evolution is true, who are you? You are an accident. You are just a random combination of chemicals that just kind of exist. And guess what? You're not worth a lot. And we see the value of human beings going down all the time. The stock has gone down on being human. You have little value. Where did I come from? Well, if creation is true and Bible is true, God created us. For um, (laughs) the evolutionist, where did I come from? Once again, you're an accident. 
you're, you just you were just a combination of random chemicals. Why am I here? Well, if the Bible is true, God created you with purpose. There's a reason why you exist. And there is something he wants you to accomplish in your life. You have purpose. But if evolution is true, why am I here? You have no reason. You might as well enjoy life and just do whatever you want because there is no purpose. And then where am I going when I die? Well, according to the Bible, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get to live eternity with Him. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be sent to an awful place called hell. But if evolution is true, where do you go when you die? You just become worm food. You have nothing after this, nothing to look forward to. This is the best you have. And that creates a very hopeless situation for people. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, that God created the earth. But the textbooks say that in the beginning, there was a big bang. Notice this. It says, the earth has changed much since its formation 4.5 billion years ago. The earth has changed. In all of these textbooks, it's saying the earth was created billions of years ago and things have changed. So we know that in the beginning, God, according to the Bible, but the textbook's saying that the world is millions and billions of years old. Notice that this textbook, it said life too has evolved. So here's a textbook that's saying we evolve. Now this is a tricky word. Why is it tricky? Because it has a lot of definitions that are often attempted to use interchangeably. Let's go over the definitions of evolution. I learned that whenever we talk to someone, we want to define our terms to make sure that we're on the same page. Here are the definitions of evolution. First of all, you have (coughs) cosmic evolution. This is the origin of time, space, and matter. For example, the Big Bang. How did everything get here? There was a Big Bang. There was a cosmic. Cosmic evolution, how did everything start from a Big Bang and then slowly form to everything else that we know? That is a definition of evolution. A second definition of evolution is chemical evolution. The origin of higher elements beyond hydrogen. We know hydrogen is the very simplest element. Now beyond that... (coughs) The Big Bang, if it produced hydrogen and some helium, how did we get the rest of the other elements? We know that the other elements could not have naturally combined to form a different element beyond iron. It could not exist. It is chemically impossible. Well, if these things could not develop naturally, how did we get all of these other elements? Evolution will have to try to explain that, but that is another definition of evolution is chemical evolution. Another definition of evolution, which is separate from the others, is stellar and planetary evolution. How did we get the stars and how did we get the planets? With the origin of the stars and planets, do you know that no one has ever seen a star form? It's not been observed. Now, why is that important? The silent embarrassment of modern astrophysics is that we do not know how a single one of these stars managed to form. We don't know how they formed. Now, every 30 years, a star is observed to explode. We we watch them die. This is called a nova or a supernova. We watch stars die. In fact, there are so many stars out there that there are enough stars for every person on earth to own 11 trillion of them. 
Those are just the stars we know about. Those don't count the stars we don't know about. There's a lot of stars out there that each one of you can own 11 trillion stars. In fact, just as a little side thing, did you know that you could buy a name for a star for your sweetheart? I mean, there's so many stars out there that they have no problems for that. And it'll be the official designation, sweetheart number one, sweetheart number two, whatever you end up (laughs) naming them. Uh, But there's enough stars out there that every one of us can name stars and still be naming them. Now, why is this important? Because we watch stars die and we have all these stars out there, we have still never seen a birth of a star. But evolution has to explain where did the stars come from? That's another definition of evolution. Another definition of evolution is organic evolution. The origin of life. How did life form in the first place? That is a separate definition of evolution, a separate form of evolution, but it is a topic that needs to be (laughs) addressed. Nobody knows how a mixture of lifeless chemicals spontaneously organize themselves into a living cell. We'll get into this in another session, but the idea of life randomly occurring is just astronomical odds. And no one knows how it did it. Just one day all these chemicals got together and they happen to fit perfectly and now you got a one-celled creature that's able to reproduce itself and eat and all, all that fun stuff randomly occurring it is astronomical now by the way the guy who quoted this was once considered the best science writer on either side of the atlantic and even he admits we don't know how this happened we have no clue in addition another form of evolution that needs to be addressed is macro evolution this is changing from one kind to another now this again is important definition macro evolution changing from one kind to another let's give an example we know that there are all kinds of different species of a dog there's lots of dogs out there lots of different types of dogs however there's still a dog with all the different species we have we have a dog kind the dog the coyote and the wolf probably had a common ancestor all right let's play a game All right, which one of these do not belong? Kids, which one? (laughs) The banana, right. Good, even a kid can tell you which one's not like the others. That (laughs) all the other ones are a dog kind. The banana doesn't fit. We could all agree that dogs, wolves, all this stuff are probably the same kind, all right? But one thing that you see in the Bible is that the Bible backs us up. The tree, uh, fruit (coughs) yielding tree after its kind. The living creature after its kind. That cats are going to produce cats. Dogs are going to produce dogs. That banana trees are going to produce banana trees. That everything reproduces after its own kind. In fact, 10 times in chapter 1, it puts the emphasis on its own kind. The word kind. However, in Darwin's book, it is the origin of species. That implies something of changing. (coughs) Um, It was an observation of different species within a kind. For example, he saw different variations of a finch. But guess what? There's still a finch and there's still a bird. He did not observe a bird turning into a whale. 
But evolution wants to try to teach that one kind turned into a different kind. Now with this, we have another definition of evolution, and that is microevolution. Now, this means variations within a kind. Now, out of all of the definitions of evolution, this is the only one that's been observed. We can see that there's variations of different kinds. For example, many of you have different color eyes. If you have green eyes, raise your hand. Okay, if you have brown eyes, raise your hand. If you have red eyes, raise your hand. Oh, <laughs> that um, <laughs> we can have different variations. You have different hair colors. Some of you were naturally blonde. Some of you were naturally dark-headed. Some of you didn't always was gray. <laughs> but you had different variations, but you were still humankind. All right? Now, I'm not against science. I love science. I think that we should define even what science is. What is science? It's the idea of knowledge derived from observation and study. I like science. Science is good. Now, one science that we could study is the first law of thermodynamics. The basic tenet of thermodynamic, first law of thermodynamics is that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. This is an important law of science. It can't be broken. Matter cannot be created nor destroyed. So that means there's only two choices because of the law of thermodynamics. Someone made the world or the world made itself. Those are the only two choices we have. How did all the matter get here? If matter isn't, can no longer be created, destroyed, that's where we're currently at. Something had to start this thing. Either someone started it or it started itself. Let's see what the textbooks say. The textbooks say that 18 to 20 billion years ago, there was a big bang. That's a long time ago. And that there was a big bang. What's a big bang, by the way? It says that all of the matter of the universe was squished down to a, uh, a, a dot smaller than the period on this page. So you, can you imagine that all of the matter, which would include you, was once squished down all of the planets, all the sun, all the things were all put into uh, a period, a little dot the size of a period. That's kind of crowded, isn't it? But one time they say all the matter was there. Then what happened? This textbook says nothing really means nothing. Well, that's interesting. You could figure that out. So what happened is that nothing exploded. That all the universe was down into nothing. And from the state of nothing, everything blew up. And when it blew up, it created the universe. That's what the textbooks say. It says then after many billions of years, all the matter in the universe will once again be put in a small area. This area may be no longer than a, uh, larger than a period at the end of the sentence. And then another big bang occur, occur. You don't have to worry about global warming. You need to worry about the big squish that's going to occur. According to the textbooks, everything's going to get squished. But this is a textbook. This is what they teach kids. Good. Now it says that little dot began to spin faster and faster and faster until it finally exploded. Now, this is two different timelines. The top one is a creationist timeline that we believe, according to the Bible, that the world was created 6,000 years ago. About 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to about this time now. Now, the evolutionists believe that two, uh, 20 uh, trillion or billion years ago, there was a big bang. 
and then everything else uh, formed after that. Now, these two timelines are not the same scale. That's important to note. Now, the creationists believe in the beginning God. The evolutionists begin in the beginning dirt. Two different ways of seeing things at the very beginning. We believe in God and they believe in dirt. By the way, which one requires more faith? To believe in dirt? That requires a lot of faith that nothing exploded and created everything. I believe it's much more plausible to believe that God created everything with a design. Now again, like I said, not both of these things are to scale. The very top one has a different scale to it. Now, if I was to make both of these timelines the same scale, what would happen is that this timeline would stretch out from Portland, Oregon to Pensacola, Florida, if we were to make it the same scale. That is a big map. We don't want to do that, so we change the scale to make them match. But let's continue on. Where did matter come from? That's a big question. Where did matter come from? Evolutionists have to answer this. So where did matter come from? Where did the laws of gravity come from? Like centrifugal force, inertia, all of those stuff. And why aren't the laws still evolving? For example, gravity hasn't changed. Could you imagine what it was like if gravity would start, stop working and, you know, uh, kind of fluctuate? Aren't you glad it doesn't? That when you jump, you know that you're going to jump so high and not fly off on the earth? The idea of inertia. All of these laws, they are not changing. The laws are not evolving. So where did the laws come from if they did not evolve? Where did the laws of science and the run the universe come from? Those are important ideas. And where did the energy come from to make the thing spin? Where did the gas come from? Then remember, they had this big dot that was sitting there. And then all of a sudden it began to spin. Why? What caused it to spin? What gave it the energy to spin? Did it finally just get bored and just start rocking back and forth? What happened? I mean, those are questions that should be answered according to their theory if they're going to try to work it in. According to the BigBangTheory.com, it's not the television show, but it's an actual website dedicated to the theory of evolution of Big Bang Theory. This is what their website said. According to the standard theory, our universe sprang into existence as a singularity about 13.7 uh, billion years ago. What's a singularity and where does it come from? We don't know. Okay, well, thanks for being honest. Our universe is thought to have began as an intestinally small and infinitely hot, infinitely dense something. A singularity. Where did it come from? We don't know. Why did it appear? We don't know. That's the official website for the Big Bang to try to explain scientifically about it. Again, I appreciate their honesty, but that's a big question, isn't it? They don't know. And so they want to say that we have a religion of faith. We believe in God. We admit that. But they also have a religion of faith too. That all the universe was squished down in a dot and then somehow began to spin and explode it and gave us everything that we had here. There's a lot to require by faith. Now, I believe in science and I believe that you can learn a lot of science from everywhere. For example, a miracle round. Did you know that you could learn a lot of good science from a miracle round? You guys know what a miracle round is, right? Good. So let's just say that we took all of the kids in the church. We've got some nice kids back there. Let's just say that we put you on a miracle round. And then we went and got a high school football team to spin you on the miracle round. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? 
what will happen is that you'll see several different stages occur during this ride. The first phase is when the kids are holding on and they're telling the football players, go faster. Come on, you wimp. Is this all you got? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Well, this will eventually go to phase two. And phase two, the kids are now concentrating on holding on. They're no longer yelling. They're just quietly trying to hold on. And the football players are going faster and faster and faster and faster. A little bit later, you hit phase number three. Phase three, they begin to shout and yell, stop, slow down. And they're holding it on the best they can. And the football players are not stopping. And they keep going faster and faster and faster and faster. Till they reach phase number four, will they finally fly off? Now, something happens as they fly off, which is an important law of science, that as they're turning around, they will also continue to be uh, flying in that same angle until they meet resistance, like a tree or a telephone pole, which will stop very quickly. So we call this the conservation of angular momentum. Those who are taking pre-calculus, you'll learn this later on in your books. The conservation of angular momentum. What does this state? Basically, it says that an object in motion will continue to spin that same direction until it meets some sort of resistance. Well, may I ask you a question? We had the Big Bang that began to spin faster and faster and faster and faster until it exploded, right? According to the law of conservation of angular momentum, that everything would be continuing to spin the same direction from the Big Bang until it met resistance. How much resistance is in space? None. So that means, according to the laws of science, that if the Big Bang exploded and after it was spinning, Everything in our universe should be spinning the same direction. Well, let's look at our own solar system and see if that's true. So, with the law of angular momentum, did you know that two of the planets in our solar system rotate backwards? They didn't get the memo. How about this? Eight of the 91 moons rotate backwards. Again, going against the law of conservation of angular momentum. What about this? Jupiter, Saturn, and Neptune have moons orbiting different directions. They're spinning the different directions. You say, why? I think God just wanted to show the evolutionists that their theory was wrong and he was able to put things in different orbit just because. We know that some galaxies spin backwards, even beyond our solar system. You have galaxies that spin backwards. All of it is against the law of angular momentum. The conservation of angular momentum. That if there was a big bang that began to spin faster and faster and faster, everything according to the law of science should be spinning the same direction. Because space had no obstacles, anything to slow down that momentum. So you can learn a lot of good science. I love science. Now if the big bang theory was true, all the matter in the universe would also be evenly distributed. But it is not. Instead, it's slumpy. There are clusters of great stars, and then there's voids where there is no stars. We know that the Big Bang is just doesn't work the way that they said. By the way, they admit this too. There are more and more evolutionists who are against the Big Bang than ever before because they know it doesn't work. The problem is, is they don't have anything to replace it with. So they have to keep it around. 
In fact, here's someone, an evolutionist says, I have little hesitation saying a sickly pole now hangs over the Big Bang theory. Even the evolutionists have started to turn their back on the Big Bang. Well, if evolutionists have turned their back, why are they still teaching in textbooks? That's a question, isn't it? Now, we talked about the first law of thermodynamics. Let's talk about the second law of thermodynamics. I like science. Let's look at science. The second law of thermodynamics says that everything tends towards disorder. Everything is getting worse and worse and worse. Well, let's prove it. <laughs> the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that the heavens, they shall perish and they shall all wax old as the garment. The Bible is on board with the second law of thermodynamics that everything gets worse and worse. Everything tends towards disorder. The scientific word is entropy. Everything tends towards entropy, getting worse and worse. The Bible backs this up. For example, when you woke up this morning, you were worse than what you started off with. You had to take the time to make yourself up, right? You had to brush your hair, brush your teeth, get the sleepies out of your eye. You didn't become more orderly overnight. You became disorderly overnight, right? But beyond that, did you know that your body slowly falls apart? You could take someone at 20 and then watch what happens when they fall apart. And you give them enough time, they'll completely fall apart. Everything tends towards disorder. But yet, the textbooks and evolutionists want to tell you that everything gets better and better and better. Here this textbook says that humans probably evolved from bacteria that lived more than 4 billion years ago. Did you know, according to the textbooks, that your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was bacteria? You came from bacteria, according to the textbook. Now, evolutionists assume that adding energy to an open system will overcome the law of thermodynamics. Now, there's a couple problems with this idea. First of all, the universe is a closed system. Go back to the first law of thermodynamics, that, every, uh, that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. There's no more matter or energy being added. We are a closed system. We have all we're going to get. The second of all is that adding energy is a destructive force without a complex mechanism to harness energy. Let's give an example. Pearl Harbor. The Japanese added lots of energy. Did they organize anything? No. They destructed a lot of things. Well, to pay them back, we decided to add lots of energy to them. Did we organize anything? No, we added lots of energy, but it did not put things. By the way, if that's how it worked, why are we building houses? Why don't we just put all the building materials and then make it explode and see what we get? Just because you add energy does not mean it's going to organize anything. We know that the sun produces energy and it's a destructive energy. It will destroy the roof of your house. Given enough time, it'll destroy your whole house. It'll wash away your paint job, paint job and give you a sun-dried red. The only a very complex molecule called chlorophyll can harness the sun's energy. By the way, one leaf cell is more complex than a modern city. One cell. It is a very complex machine that's able to take the energy of the sun and turn it into an organized production of energy. 
into a system. It is a very complex system. By the way, it had a great designer. The second law of thermodynamics says that everything tends towards disorder. But the theory of evolution by its own merits is opposite and goes against the second law of thermodynamics because it says that everything is getting better and better and better. And it is not. So here's a textbook here. Here, this textbook, it says 3.4 billion years ago, our early ancestors were the hu- of the human beings. You know what it says that a human, uh, our early ancestors were? Jellyfish. Did you know your great-great-great-great-grandfather was a jellyfish? Here's Discover Magazine. Was your ancestor a sea sponge? Was this grandpa? This is your ancestor? Was that where you came from? Well, that's what the science magazines say. All right, I'm going to show you a picture that we were able to snap of some of you right after you had your first cup of coffee in the morning. All right, here we go. (laughs) Now, according to the textbooks here, it says about uh, 30 million years ago that we evolved from monkeys. (laughs) <laughs> that they evolved to us. They ancestral to both humans and apes. By the way, whenever you see in the textbook about 30 millions of years ago, you can put a translation. A long time ago and far, far away. You know that a fairy tale is coming. <laughs> now, once again, we have that word evolved. That's an important word. They said that we came from monkeys. We slowly formed from monkeys. <laughs> that they was our ancestor. So, is that grandpa? Is that where we came from? Good. You know, other people are figuring this out. Here is one of those columns where you'd write in for advice, and they said, your, apes, your kids go ape in school? Here's why. They're being taught evolution. They're being taught that they're nothing more than an animal, nothing more than an accident, and so therefore there are no consequences. That is a very big deal. Good. The textbooks say this, you are an animal and you share a common heritage with earthworms. That's what they teach in the textbook, that you have a common ancestor with an earthworm. You are nothing more than an animal. Well, what happens when kids are taught all of their life they're nothing more than an animal with no purpose and no guidance? What happens when you do that? Well, what effect does it have? It is a philosophy that changes everything. What happens when someone's taught all of their life they're nothing more than an animal? Maybe something like this. That people start changing and start behaving, acting, and even looking like an animal. They change everything that they do. The Bible says this in Matthew 18.6, But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it would be better than a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That is a big warning from Jesus. What does it mean that someone should offend one of these little ones? Someone who takes away the faith in God. That means that when kids are being taught evolution, Those teachers, I'm not saying the teachers are bad. There are very good teachers who are stuck in a system. But the Bible says that anyone who takes away the faith that these little ones have in God or in the Bible, they're in trouble with God. This is how seriously God takes this. This is a big matter for him. 
Again, the kids are taught that you are an animal and share a common heritage with earthworms. Don't believe it. You were made in God's image and God wants to have fellowship with you. There's a purpose of why you exist. God created man to have fellowship with him. That was the whole reason. Why did we, God make us? What is our purpose? God wants to have friends and he wants to have fellowship with him. Unfortunately, sin broke that fellowship between us and God. But that's exactly why Jesus died for us. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to be separated from his goodness, his mercy, and from his presence. Our sin is what did this. But God loved us so much that he wanted to restore that fellowship. So what happened is that Jesus died for us. The book of uh, Revelation 20 explains that death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever is not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. That because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from a holy, righteous God. We deserve to be separated from him forever. But that's not what God wanted, nor is that what God intended. The death we deserve is because of our sin, and that death is hell. When we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. But because of our separation, we deserve to go to hell. Now that's not good news. What is the good news? The good news is that God finished off that verse in Romans 6, 23, where he said, For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God wanted to forgive us of our sins, to forgive that sin debt, so we could be restored to God and have fellowship with Him. Jesus died to pay for our sin debt and to restore our fellowship with Him and God. All that's left is that you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and when you have done that, you can have fellowship with God. And by the way, that is the purpose of your life. God created you with reason and with purpose. And that purpose was to have fellowship with Him. Dear friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, may I first of all say that the Bible is true and we could trust it. And that Bible tells us that God loves you. The Bible also tells you that because of your sin, you deserve to be separated from God. But Jesus died for you. And that all you have to do is personally accept that price for yourself. To accept that gift that Jesus made for you on the cross of Calvary. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, the greatest thing that can happen today is for you to come and know for sure that your sins are forgiven. We have people that could show with an open Bible to take the Bible and to show you how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. It would be our great privilege. For those of you who are saved, are you fulfilling your purpose? What is my purpose? To have fellowship with God to be with him, to be friends with him, to have a a personal everyday relationship with him. Are you doing what you were created to do? You have all the opportunity you want to because God loves you. Would you not trust him and accept him and love him the way that you want? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.